listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Happy New Year, Red Church. Much love from Holly and I. It's hard to believe it was less than two years ago that we were there together with you in person, and boy, has it been quite a year in between. Man, I give thanks to God for you, the stories that I've heard of your faithfulness and endurance through a global pandemic, through extended lockdown, and the ways you've been pressing into Jesus in fresh new ways in the midst of the strange season that we've been in. But now we're in January, it's 2021, it's a new year, and I found whenever you're starting something new, it's helpful to start with the end in mind. To start with the end in mind. So let's say, for example, if you're building some Ikea furniture and you're holding those pieces in your hand, it's helpful to know, am I building a bunk bed or a kitchen table, right? You wanna start with the end in mind. Or if you're going on a road trip, one of the first things you wanna do is set the GPS coordinates for your destination, saying, hey, here's where we're headed. My family and I, we recently went on a road trip back home. Now, normally we would fly there because it's about 20 hours to drive there. So normally we'd fly, but because of COVID and we had some elderly family members that we wanted to play it safe, and so we drove there. We hopped in the car and took this 20-hour drive. And on the way, we went through all sorts of places. Went through exciting cities like Las Vegas. We went through extended wilderness area and all. But the very first thing we did before we set out on this trip was when as soon as we got in the car, first thing I did was pulled out and set the GPS. I said, hey, here's the coordinates. Here's where we're going. And that is helpful to know because that means that even when you're in different spots of terrain and different places that might be unfamiliar, that ultimately you know where you're headed. You know the destination that you're driving towards. Well, today we're gonna see Jesus set the GPS for his ministry, setting the coordinates, locking in the destination of Jesus saying, hey, this is ultimately where my ministry is heading. We're in John, the Gospel of John, chapter two. So if you have your Bible, if you wanna open it up and turn there, uh, we're gonna be in John chapter two. This is a famous story of Jesus turning water into wine. Jesus turns water into wine. And John tells us that this is Jesus's first sign in this gospel. Now that word first, it doesn't just mean first chronologically, it also carries associations of being his primary or his royal sign. So what we're gonna see in the story today is Jesus is giving us a royal sign that sets the GPS, it kind of points towards, hey, here's where my ministry is ultimately heading towards. What we're gonna discover is that Jesus has come to launch a wedding for the world. A wedding where the wine flows abundantly and a wedding that brings joy and celebration wherever it goes. So let's pick up in John 2, if you would open up your... Bible there, and we're gonna start in verse one. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Well, the first thing we see here is that Jesus sets the GPS. Like he sets the GPS coordinates for his ministry. First thing we read is on the third day, there was a wedding. On the third day, there was a wedding. 
Now, an astute observer might ask, on the third day of what? Like, John, are you telling us that this was on the third day of the week? This wedding took place on a Tuesday? Or maybe are you telling us that this wedding was on the third day of the year, like January 3rd? He doesn't say. And the story doesn't necessarily follow chronologically after the last one. When you're reading through John, one of the things you discover is he doesn't necessarily put things in chronological order, but he moves them around to paint a theological picture of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. And often John will give clues at the beginning of his stories uh, that give us a window into what this story we're about to read is all about. So you'll read a number of stories in John that are around Passover time, and those tend to be stories about Jesus' crucifixion, which raises the question, can you think of any significant events in Jesus' life that happened on a third day? Any significant events that happened on a third day? Uh, class, anyone. I wonder if anyone here's raising their hands and maybe has the answer. But yes, that's right. The answer is resurrection, right? Because on the second day, there was a funeral. But on the third day, there was a wedding. On the second day, his body lay in the ground. But on the third day, he rose again. On the second day, the enemy seemed to have won. But on the third day, he found that he couldn't keep a good man down. The second day looked like defeat, but on the third day, I saw victory. On the second day, COVID was running rampant, but on the third day, resurrection's gonna go viral. On the second day, the nations were tearing themselves apart at the seams, but on the third day, the nations were worshiping and reconciled glory with every nation, tribe, and tongue in the kingdom of God. On the second day, I was blind. But on the third day, I could see. On the second day, I was lonely. But on the third day, I found a friend. On the second day, the wine ran out and all we had left to drink was bath water. (laughs) But on the third day, the rivers started pumping Merlot and Cabernet. On the second day, his body lay in the grave. But on the third day, Jesus rose again. And why did he rise again? To marry his bride. On the third day, there was a wedding. Church, our destination is a resurrection wedding. And this is helpful to know when the road gets rough. I'm wondering how many of you this morning might be feeling like, man, things are a bit rough right now. Maybe you feel like, man, I just barely came out of 2020 and I got no gas left in the tank. I'm on the side of the road. I need to call roadside assistance because I just feel like I've got nothing left in me. Maybe this morning you feel like you're out of gas. Maybe you feel like you're out of wine. Like this family here, we find this family ran out of wine. They ran out of wine at the wedding. And this was an embarrassing thing. This was a very embarrassing thing to happen. This was like the big day, the big event. You can imagine how big this was for their kids, that they have been looking forward to this probably their whole life, their wedding day. And how embarrassing this would have been for the parents. In ancient Near Eastern culture at the time, uh, there was a lot of expectations, social expectations, riding on the parents, where if they don't have enough wine and things run out, people are going to be talking about this for years to come. It's a very embarrassing event. And similarly, when you run out and you feel like you've got nothing left to give for us, it can be embarrassing, right? 
can feel embarrassing. Like, God, I tried to be everything that they wanted me to be, everything I felt like you wanted me to be, but God, I've given it all I have and I've just got nothing left. That can be an embarrassing spot to be in. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you have ran out of stamina with your kids and you lost your temper and you said something you regret. Or maybe you ran out of patience with your roommate and now there's an atmosphere of tension in your apartment. Maybe you, man, maybe you ran out of endurance with your loneliness and you turned to some things for connection that you know were not really good places or healthy places to go. Maybe you've ran out of hope with your condition and find yourself giving in to despair. Well, for us, like this family, we can find ourselves embarrassed when it feels like we've got nothing left to give and we've run out, our resources have run dry. Yet Mary, we see here, intercedes for this family. She intercedes for her friend. I envision Mary with kind of a nudge with her elbow, nudging Jesus in the side and saying, come on, Jesus, come on, can't you fix this? And we read uh, that Jesus, she's essentially saying, hey, Jesus, do something. And Jesus responds uh, saying, woman, and that can sound rude in English, but in the original language, it's actually a term of respect. It's like saying, Madame. So Jesus is not like back talking his mom here, right? But he says, woman, my hour has not yet come. And the hour in the Gospel of John, it's a way of referring to his crucifixion. It gets used throughout the Gospel of John to point to the hour of his crucifixion. And so what essentially is happening here is Mary is saying, Jesus, reveal your glory. I know who you are. It's been 30 years. I've been watching you grow up. And now, isn't it time? Like, reveal your glory. And Jesus is saying, it's not time yet. It's kind of like, man, she's kind of like my kids in the backseat of the car going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Have we, have we gotten there? Have we gotten to the destination yet? We're going to see your glory revealed. Can't you just do it now? And Jesus tells her, we're not at the destination yet but I'll give you a sign. We're not there yet, but I'll give you a sign that points to where we're heading. This turning of water to wine is gonna be a sign of what Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection will accomplish. Here in January, I believe this is a good time for us to set the GPS, to align kind of our destination with where Jesus says we're heading. This is a time of year where many people are evaluating like their goals for the year. Many people are trying to foretell like, hey, what's coming? What's coming next? Where are we heading? And I am not wanting to make any predictions, right? I'm out of that game. I'm not making any predictions anymore where things are heading. Uh, we had a year ago, January, 2020, I'm not sure if it was like this in Australia, but here in America, you had a lot of churches that were doing like a 2020 vision Series. They were doing a sermon series or something on like 2020 vision. Here's where we're going this year. Here's what we're going to have. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what we're going to do. And what we quickly found out was, man, our vision was more like 2100, right? Or just horrible. Like we couldn't even see the top line of the optometry charts, the big bold letters. Like we couldn't even see that far ahead. Uh, so I don't know what's coming. I'm not trying to make predictions, but come what may, I believe that you and I are invited to nudge Jesus like Mary did. To nudge Jesus and say, hey, just I know we're not there yet, but can you give me a sign? Like, I'm hungry 
for signs of resurrection, signposts of your kingdom, of your healing, of your transformation, of your resurrection, of your life in me and in our my family, in our friends, in our community, in our area, in our church, at Red Church Jesus. We wanna see signs of your kingdom, of your resurrection power that point forward to where you are ultimately taking us on this road that we're on. Well, let's continue and see what happens next. So picking up in verse six, we read, now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. All right, well, we see here that Jesus makes a red river's worth of wine. Jesus makes a red river's worth of wine. He makes a lot of wine. We're told it's around 150 gallons. Now, if you went to the store, that would be like 750 bottles of wine. And this is not grape juice, right? This is the real stuff, the strong stuff. Jesus is not the dude who shows up at the party with a bag of Doritos and some leftover KFC. Now Jesus shows up bringing 750 bottles of the best vintage. He is the life of the party. Jesus shows up and he's the life of the party. I love this in verse two, it says that Jesus also was invited to the party. They invited him to the party, they wanted him there. And he brings life to the party when he shows up. Jesus is, this is like party animal, Jesus, right? Like not in the sense that he's getting wasted or anything like that, but in the sense that sometimes I think we envision Jesus as sour Jesus, right? Like maybe he'll show up at the party, but his goal is just to make sure everyone's sort of keeping their behavior in check. Like, Kevin, you really think that joke was appropriate? <laughs> or Meredith, you really think you need another glass of that wine? Or Bob and Ethel, hey, save some room for the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> Like, no, Jesus shows up and he's the life of the party. He brings the best stuff with him. But it does raise the question, why does Jesus make so much wine? Like 150 gallons, that's a lot. And you could kind of be going, man, isn't that kind of overkill, Jesus? Why so much? Well, actually, in Old Testament prophecy, if you read it in like Amos 9 and Joel 3, uh, we discover that one of the signs that when the Messiah comes and he brings the kingdom, that even the rivers will flow with wine. It's a picture of the coming of the kingdom. And it's interesting as well, Cana, where this miracle takes place, Cana was named for the Cana River that flowed by and flowed down and out into the Mediterranean. So there's association here with this river that flows down into the land. Well, let's read Amos 9, one of these passages where we get this glimpse or this picture that when the Messiah comes, we read, that the mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. So the picture here in Amos 9 is one of the mountains dripping with sweet wine of the rivers flowing with it and the hills bringing it down into all the land. It's a sign of joy and abundance and prosperity and peace and celebration. Now the context of Amos 9, the broader context here is God is rebuilding his temple. And it's interesting, the very next story in John 2 
after this one is the story about rebuilding the temple. Jesus tells the religious leaders, hey, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And he's talking about the temple of his body. The bigger picture here being Jesus is the temple who we tore down and yet who God has rebuilt to bring these rushing, life-giving red rivers of wine, bringing the joy and abundance and peace and prosperity and celebration of God into all the land. See, Jesus didn't just come to bring you a drop of resurrection wine. He came to bring us river of it. Jesus came to bring rivers of resurrection wine. He came not just to put a Band-Aid on your problems, but to heal you from the inside out. Jesus came to kickstart a party, to inaugurate a kingdom, to bring about this wedding where we can be united in life with him forever with the joy and the celebration that comes in union with Christ our King. Now, John does give us an interesting detail here, though. He tells us that this water was from purification jars. And when you read John, you find every detail is significant. So what were these purification jars all about? Well, these jars were used in Jewish rites of purification to deal with impurity and uncleanliness. You think about water, there's really two uses you can have for water. You can drink it or you can clean with it. And water was used in the Jewish system to deal with cleansing from impurity. When it came to the system for dealing with the impurity, there were two main vehicles for dealing with it. One was uh, washing with water and the other was sacrifices, right? And this points to a much greater reality here, that you used to get washed with water, but now you get washed with wine. You used to get washed with water, but now you get washed with wine. That Jesus's blood is what washes us clean. Church tradition has seen this story as pointing to uh, three major things. Uh, one, it points to the Jesus's identity as God, right? Like who else can turn water into wine? Another, that it points to a sign of resurrection. Like here's what he's come to bring for the world. But the third is that it points to the expansion from Judaism to Christianity, a global religion welcoming all nations and peoples in. And the reason it's able to do that is because Jesus brings a greater sacrifice that is able to not just deal temporarily with some of the impurity of his people, but is actually able to deal permanently with the sin of the world. Jesus brings a greater sacrifice in his blood washes us clean. Now we sing some weird songs about this, right? Like there are some hymns that, there's one called, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. I don't know if you ever sung it. I actually love that hymn. It's a great song. Uh, There is a fountain filled with blood. But you first hear that title and you're like, dude, this sounds like a Halloween horror show. I don't know, like you think about like Halloween, you're going to someone's house, they got like the cobwebs and there's bats and skeletons and whatever. And there's a fountain filled with blood in the front yard. And you're like, that's, that's gross. But you read the lyrics going on. It says, there's a fountain filled with blood and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stain. The point is that Jesus' atonement is powerful to wash us clean, to deal with our impurity, to deal with our sin, to deal with our rebellion and cleanse us and make us whole. Another famous song, uh, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
we once had a, an atheist come and visit our church. There was an atheist and a Christian and they were visiting churches and kind of seeing how this atheist experienced them and uh, they were writing a book about it, whatever. So they sent us a chapter afterwards and, and they're like, hey, you guys are in this chapter. So, uh, and they said, hey, we had a great experience. It was actually a good thing at your church. But the one part that really bugged him, he's like, it's just really weird. Why are they singing a song about blood? Like, it just seems gross and weird, whatever. But the point is, Within the gospel, like Jesus' atonement, his sacrifice is powerful to cleanse us, to wash us clean, to make us whole as a pure and spotless bride ready for him on the wedding day, to be united with him forever. The point is that Jesus' blood washes us clean. And Jesus' blood is strong. Right? Like it is stronger than Clorox bleach, stronger than Dove soap. It's stronger than whatever hand sanitizer or disinfectant you've been using to clean your counters and try and keep everything clean during this strange season of COVID we've been in. Uh, it's stronger and able to make more pure than anything else out there on the market today, right? Like Jesus's blood is strong. This means that you might find yourself going, man, Jesus, but if you only knew what I've done, if you only knew the things that I've done or the things that I've said, like you may just feel like, man, I'm just too dirty. The, the junk runs too deep in my life to get clean. But the power of the gospel says, no, Jesus' blood is strong. It's strong to cleanse you of whatever you've got to bring. And you might find yourself going, yeah, but I don't think there's enough for me. Man, if you knew the amount of things I've done, the extent of my iniquity, the amount of things that I've done wrong, but man, she's going, no, I made 150 gallons, I brought 750 bottles. Like I've got a rushing red river of wine that's able to cover the full extent of anything that you've got to bring. Jesus brings forth this red river to cleanse us and wash us clean and usher in a wedding celebration of, cel of celebrating life with him forever. All right, well, let's keep reading and see how the story ends. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, although the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. We find here that God saves the best for last. God saves the best for last. The master says, this is a different kind of party. Normally when folks throw the party, they bring out the good stuff first. Like everyone shows up and they're busting out like the 20 year Cabernet and the old vintage Scotch. And then when everyone's a bit lit, that's when you bust out like the Mike's Hard Lemonade and the two buck Chuck, right? But the master says, no, you've done it backwards. You've saved the best for last. And this is a sign that what Jesus brings is better than everything that's come. Four, Jesus is the best that God has saved for last. Jesus is a better sacrifice. He is better than all the sacrifices of the Old Testament, able to be a once and for all sacrifice that atones for the sin of the world. Jesus is a better cleansing agent. He washes us cleaner than all the things that we've tried to do to clean ourselves up. Jesus brings a better wedding. He inaugurates a kingdom that brings a greater joy and a better life than we ever could have had on our own. 
Jesus is better. All of life is all for Jesus because Jesus is better than anything else in all of life. Well, we also see here that God the Father is pleased with the sacrifice of his son. That God the Father is pleased with the sacrifice of his son. Let me explain what I mean. I believe John is giving us here a living parable. When you read the other gospels like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tell a lot of parables, like actual stories that Jesus told. But the way John works, he often gives the stories themselves as like a living parable, as a picture or an icon or a window into the glorious reality of the gospel. And here in this story, we see that it ends, it lands with the master of over the wedding ceremony, like God the Father. And he is tasting the wine, which we have seen is associated with sacrifice. And he declares to the groom, who's like a picture of Christ the Son, that he is well pleased with it. Because you saved the best for last. And this is like a picture of the gospel, that God is pleased with the sacrifice of his son who gave his life to reconcile us and to marry his bride and to inaugurate a wedding that we might be united in life with him forever. God is pleased with this. This whole, this whole thing, this helps explain, I believe, why Jesus doesn't showboat. You know, like you could be asking, why did Jesus do this sign through the servants. He kind of hangs in the back and lets them do it and lets the groom kind of bring the wine to the feast. And you have two reasons come to mind. One is I think Jesus is not an egomaniac, right? Like he's humble. He's not a glory hungry attention seeker. He doesn't need to be in the limelight, the spotlight all the time. He's stoked to like, let this be the day for the bride and the groom because he's humble. But a second reason here is to believe that Jesus is setting up this whole scene to be itself a picture of the gospel, to be a sign of what he's come to do. It's a picture that represents the gospel itself. So I would encourage us not to miss the destination for the sign, not to miss the destination for the sign that's pointing to. That would be like if I'm going on a road trip with my family to Disneyland, let's say, or maybe they're in Australia, maybe you're going to Dream World, right? Uh, but you got the kids and you're in the car and you're on the road and you're on your way to Dream World and you see a sign on the side of the road that says, uh, you know, Dream World, 100 miles. And you pull off to the side of the road and, or maybe not miles, whatever you use. And you probably use like the rest of the world does appropriately, unlike us weird Americans that use different measurements. But anyways, so you're going dream world, 100 miles. You get off on the side of the road and you're uh, out on the side of the road with the kids and you're like, we're here. And the kids are like, this doesn't look like dream world. And you're like, no, but the sign. And yeah, you'd be missing the destination for the sign that's pointing to it, right? And similarly, I think we can be like that if we look at the story and we just go, whoa, like cool party trick, Jesus. Like you turned water to wine, 2,000 years ago, that's pretty neat, okay? But we can miss what it's actually pointing to, which is that Jesus wants to bring resurrection life into you. He wants to bring resurrection wine to you, Red Church, to you, the people of God in Melbourne, in your area. He wants to bring the life of God, the resurrection river of God's life and power and abundance and kingdom into your life as a people there. I believe this should put us into a place of dependence, going, Jesus, turn our water into wine. Bring us more of your presence, your life, your healing, your power, your resurrection. God, we want to experience the life that you have to give and bring for us here and now today. This also helps us know 
what to do when your GPS navigation is broken. When GPS navigation is broken, I, I've had this weird thing with my phone recently where uh, I can type in the GPS coordinates, it'll, it, coordinates, it'll get the destination. That's all good, that's all fine. But it doesn't know where I am, and so it's missing my location. So it'll say, hey, turn right one mile. And then a mile later, turn right one mile. And a mile later, turn right one mile. And I'm like, dude, I think I passed it a while back. I gotta turn around. And it's like, dude, it knows where I'm going. It has that, but the GPS thing, it doesn't know where I am. And I'm like, I don't know where I am, where am I? And I think some of us might be heading into 2021 feeling that way, you know, of going like, man, last year was disorienting, it was confusing, it was difficult. I find myself kind of spinning out and just going, I don't know where I am right now. Maybe this loss you've experienced, maybe it's confusion, maybe it's, man, all sorts of things that can leave us feeling disoriented and just going, where is this place that I find myself in stepping into this new year ahead? Here's the beauty of the gospels that you can say, I may not know where I am, but I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. I'm on my way to a resurrection wedding. My destination is locked in. It is secure. Christ has it. He has held it. He has accomplished it. He has bought it. He has held it out before us going, this is where I am bringing you as my people. I'm going to give you signs on the way, but this is ultimately where we're going is this resurrection wedding. Well, the invitation this morning for us is to Jesus, the winemaker. Jesus is the winemaker who's still making wine today, right? And the power of the gospel is that Jesus made wine by allowing himself to be crushed and give himself for us. The wine that we celebrate with communion, it's wine that it's a sign of Jesus's blood poured out, being crushed like grapes to give his life to us. I was thinking about this recently that, you know, God turns water to wine all the time, all the time, every year. The rains come down, they kind of absorb into the soil, they're buried there and they soak into the vine and then it comes through with the fruit of the grapes off the branches and God's doing that all the time, only there is another stage to the process. Like it makes me think in Jesus's miracle here, he's not so much contradicting nature as he is speeding it up, right? Because God's turning water to wine all the time. So Jesus does it here, but there is still one more step in the process. It's that you got to crush the grapes. You've got to crush the grapes. And Jesus is the one who was crushed to bring forth resurrection wine for you and for I. Jesus did this. He gave his life to bring resurrection wine to you. Final observation from John on this point. I just think it's interesting. John gives us some interesting GPS coordinates. Right after this, verse 12, he says, they went down to Capernaum. And if you are tracking John 1 and 2, there's this movement where he goes up from Jerusalem on Mount Zion, and he goes from Jerusalem down to Bethany, then down to Nazareth, then down to Cana, and then down to Capernaum, which dumps out into the Sea of Galilee. And then he's gonna go up to Jerusalem with the sign of his crucifixion, the story that follows. Here's the point, the picture here, is that this wine is intended to run like a river down from Mount Zion where he was crucified, bringing the abundance of his life into all the land, including into your life. Jesus's own life is the resurrection river that brings life to the world. 
And so this morning, we want to set the GPS, so to speak, for this year ahead. We want to align our destination ultimately with Jesus's destination. We want to lock in coordinates with him and go, Jesus, we're with you for the ride. We're going to set our eyes on the horizon of where you're taking us. We're going to trust you and trust and believe into you. Like this is, they did here, like even when they don't know or understand, like even when we don't know or understand, we're going to trust and believe you, Jesus. And we're going to nudge you and ask you for signs. Just bring your resurrection power, bring signs to your kingdom in our lives. We need your presence and your power in us and with us as your people here and now today. And we're gonna rejoice that even when we don't know where we are, we know where we're going. We can have that confidence in you, Jesus. Join me in prayer. Jesus, thank you that you have come to bring a resurrection wedding for the world. And God, that you have done all this to invite us in to be united in life with us forever. Jesus, thank you that you were willing to give your life to bring the red river of your presence rushing down, sharing your life poured out with all creation to restore and to heal and to make new and to make whole. This morning, God, we do, we want to set our GPS coordinates, God, together. We want to lock in our coordinates with you and what you have said you are ultimately about and where you are taking this thing. God, we set our eyes on the horizon of your resurrection wedding, God, that you're bringing us to. Jesus, we trust you on the way with whatever may come. We believe in you. We wanna do whatever you tell us. Like Mary said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. God, we wanna do whatever you tell us in the midst of the year ahead. We wanna trust you and obey. Jesus, and we do, we nudge you this morning. Like Mary, we wanna nudge you in the ribs. Just Jesus, Man, reveal your glory, reveal your power, reveal yourself, God. Bring more healing, transformation, presence, your power, your kingdom come, your will be done here in our midst as your people as it is in heaven. Pour out resurrection wine here and now, even today. And Jesus, we rejoice that even when we may not know where we are on the road ahead, we know where we're going. We can trust you. You're bringing us to a resurrection wedding to be united in life with you forever. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all these things in your name, under your authority, for your glory, Lord. Amen.